Welcome to the 5 o'clock show. It's time for Common Sense. Now, it's Cats and Cosby with John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Standing for truth, justice, and the American way. Bringing common sense to the world. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. This is John Katsimatidis. It's 5 o'clock. I must be Monday. And uh, with us today is uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, a common sense Democrat and a common sense uh, Republican. But some people doubt it. But uh, Tony Carbonetti, <laughs> I have some common sense, some common sense. Tony Carbonetti, former chief of staff to uh, uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani. And uh, and uh, we have our friend here from Washington uh, that doesn't want to talk, but uh, he's here. John Acoff. How are you, John? Fine. Yeah. He's doing great. <laughs> uh, Rita, I you here we have a special guest today. We do. Uh, let's go right to Errol Lewis. Of course, you know him from New York One. And Errol, uh, we are talking about the enormous, I, I should say, like the holdup on the subways this weekend over the death. That's the chokehold death of Jordan Neely. And there's so much stuff going back and forth. Bridges blocked, subway tracks blocked. And you wrote a really powerful column, um, basically talking about the system in New York. You say, it says, Jordan Neely was already dead. New York reckons with a homeless epidemic and a killing. Um, Errol, we're thrilled to have you here on the show. What, what are your thoughts as to where this case is headed and also how the system really let this guy down? Uh, great to be with you, Rita. And hi, John. Hi, everybody there. Um, look, the, the, the thing I wrote, which is really what had bothered me for, for uh, really quite fr- from the minute this happened was that we treat certain people in our city as if they're already dead or departed. We step over them. We ignore them. We condemn them to the corners. We give them the bare minimum of assistance. Uh, we don't hold our leadership responsible so that what we call a safety net or a healthcare system has is tattered and has so many holes and disconnects that it's almost inevitable that people are going to uh, remain in harm's way. And when we do that, and we do it year after year after year, somebody like Jordan Neely, whose life was tragic, absolutely tragic, his mother murdered and so forth, and never got the help that he needed, um, he slips through all of our fingers and and it ends up in, in tragedy. And that's what, what struck me most about all of this. Now, of course, everybody's got their own interpretation, and some people see this as a law and order story, and some people see it as like a Kitty Genovese story, what were bystanders supposed to do? And some, some people see it as a pure um, health or mental health uh, story. But in a lot of ways, it's all of those things. And I, I hope people will reflect on what we all collectively have have done that maybe we could have done a lot better to, to take care of this young man. Earl, uh, you know, we've both been around for a long time, and it seems like uh, there was – Tens of thousands of people in 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 hospitals uh, ten twenty years ago uh, to help mm. these people, and because a lot of these people just need help, and uh, uh, somewhere along the line uh, of ten or twenty years ago, we decided to slowly put them, uh, change their category, put them in the streets in New York, and make them homeless. And the same thing, we have the homeless problem, and then you have. Uh, the veterans uh, problem where we let put them on the streets too, instead of putting them in hospitals and helping them. What can we do to fix this? I mean, this is tragedy. Yeah. It's, you know, any way you look at it, including financially, it just does not make sense what we have done, but 
you know, penny wise and pound foolish, we, we just as you say, we got rid of a lot of the institutional beds uh, that had been available. And there, it was not a perfect system. There were definitely abuses. And that, I think, is what led to the deinstitutionalization. But, you know, it was supposed to be matched by or at least uh, succeeded by um, clinical care that would be available uh, if and when people needed it. And we have just, you know, just just in the recent years, this is, uh, you know, typical of what we've done for a generation now, but we cut 800 institutional beds and turned them over for pure COVID uh, at the height of the pandemic emergency or at the start of the pandemic emergency. Okay, maybe that was necessary, but we're years past that now, and we have not brought the beds back online. And when you do that, there's there's you can almost foresee exactly what's going to happen. I mean, John, I, I talked the other day with the chair of the uh, mental health committee of the city council. She said a certain kind of uh, therapy that's available or, or therapeutic bed that's available, crisis um, uh, beds. Uh, there's, a, there's only 50 of them. Yeah, uh, and, the whole- there must be 5,000 people in the streets of New York. Oh, at, at least. least. not more. Errol, it's Tony Carbonetti. Uh, like John was saying before, we've all been around long enough, and, and you remember the, the Mayor Giuliani fight with the pastor on Fifth Avenue when, when uh, the mayor was taking people, when it was less than 30 degrees out, bringing them to shelters against their will, and the pastor said, you can't take them off of my steps, and Mayor right. Giuliani said, well, then open your doors and let them sleep inside if you really care about them, because it is not humane <laughs> to let them sleep on the streets, okay? And it's the same issue here. If this person was known to the system, it's not humane to let them walk around the subway every day and threaten people. That doesn't help anybody. Definitely doesn't help the person that needs the, the mental person that needs help. Uh, it's not helping him every day to have him walking on the street. You know, this is a philosophical problem that needs to be solved at the top. There is money. We're spending, what, $2.5 billion a year? And we're spending $5 million a day on the migrants. I mean, you think about uh, where the money is going. I mean, there's a lot of money going into a lot of directions. There's a lot of tragedy in this situation, a lot. Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's interesting. If you did a, if you did a kind of um, a, a sort of an audit of um, all of the different public agencies that dealt with Jordan Neely, just in the last few years, it would include the MTA. It would include health and hospitals. He was at Bellevue. It would include Department of Homeless Services. He was in the shelters and out of the shelters. It would include the crisis uh, outreach teams that are run by so the So this Department. shocked none of them. That's the problem. Yeah, and by the way, by the way, he was on a top 50 list. Did you yeah. see this, Earl? It just came out. He was on like a top 50 sure. list of somebody that who desperately needed help. Think of all the people that John was just talking about who are homeless and who are in this. He was in the top 50 list, basically, mm-hmm. of someone who desperately needs help and recidivism and all these issues. So it was a blaring right. red sign, right, Errol? Well, I mean, you know, what happens is each of the agencies that I just listed and probably more, they, they kind of pass them along, like they'll get them stabilized. And so mm-hmm. they've had them for two the person for two or three days and they've given them some help and started yet another you know round of record keeping. Uh, and then they discharge them. They discharge them from Rikers or from health and hospitals or from a crisis respite bed run by the, the health department. And they're right back where we started. And that's the thing that's got to stop. Absolutely. Judge Weinberg, you got a question for Errol Lewis. No, I, I want Errol. I want to tell you this, this, and they don't talk about this often enough. There's a total linkage between the mentally ill and the drug addicted and the homeless. And that hasn't been addressed. There's only, when I was running special narcotics for the city, they, as a presiding judge, they did not have but one hospital that could deal with the combination of mental illness and drug addiction. 
So you try to well, find a su- sufficient program to help somebody, and there just wasn't the place to put them. And that has to be addressed. And it raises the question, Errol, I don't know what uh, Mayor de Blasio and his wife did with all those hundreds of thousands of dollars that uh, were supposed to be devoted to these issues. What happened to that money, and why wasn't that spent appropriately? If you need more hospital beds, then you build a facility, even a temporary facility, to have hospital beds for them. Mm -hmm. It's not an answer to put them inside of city agencies, walking around city agencies. No more is it smart to put them in hotels and then destroy a hotel or a community. What say you? Yeah, no, absolutely. Listen, the the Thrive program that you're talking about, which was the de Blasio approach, um, you know, look, he always said he deserved credit for at least surfacing the issue. But in the end, he was also criticized for dealing more with what they call the worried well than the seriously mentally ill, you know, so they, they, you know, they, they had this um, hotline and you could call if you were feeling uh, a little out of sorts, or if you had a family member and you had questions and that was probably necessary. That wasn't a bad thing, but the issues that we're talking about today and the Jordan Neely case, it's not on a, a continuum from, it's not, it's not a straight line from uh, I'm feeling a little upset. I need some time off from work. It's a long distance from there to Jordan Neely and to the thousand, the estimated thousand. That was the number I got from the, the head of health and hospitals of people who are who's got who've got these multiple problems, mental health, um, homelessness and, and so forth, and who are living on the street. Um, they know their names like they have a top 50 list. They have a top 1000 list. We know who they are. Wow. We can't well, sort of yeah. figure it out. Well, it's the same thing when I talk to the police commissioner. There's 3,000 violent criminals because I said to the governor and I said to the, to the mayor, yeah. 3,000 violent criminals abusing New Yorkers. I mean, who, for whom do you represent? The 3,000 violent criminals or, do you, or the New Yorkers that want to be able to walk to restaurants at night? No, yeah. look, I, I, yeah. I thought the same thing. I, in fact, you know, what I think is like if there's 3,000 and you know where they live, why don't you go, you know, you got you got 10 cops literally for each one of them. Why don't you go to their house and say, look, we know who you are. We want you to straighten well, out. The guy last year that was arrested 114 times, I think he books himself now. Yeah. He just goes right, processes now, himself. No, the, the one other <laughs> thing that, right? that, that disturbed me over the last week is that uh, congestion pricing. Are we putting mm-hmm. – look, I live in Manhattan. I think you do too, Earl. I mean, no, no, not yet. Not yet. You know, I'm never, I'm never coming if, there. <laughs> if, is this another nail in the coffin of Manhattan? Because no, 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 John. Why do you on. say I mean, that? It, it, I mean, you know how many empty stores? I, I walk up and down Madison Avenue, Third Avenue, First Avenue. There's stores for rent up the up, up to Gazoo. You get rid of you get rid of all that congestion and all of that gridlock and all that air pollution. And but they created it. They created it. The congestion. Uh, who, uh, I don't. I don't want to point fingers. But all, right. all I know for sure is, if you make it so that it's easier for me to drive my car there, and and there's virtually no cost if I get lucky, I would drive into the city every day. You know, but, but if you tell me. You're going. We, we're going to clip you. Whatever. It's we got be, a minute. We got a minute left. It's, it's your. You have the floor. What would you like to tell all New Yorkers? Uh, I would tell all New Yorkers. Um, please keep an eye on the Jordan Neely case and try not to think of it as Kitty Genovese or, or Bernhard Getz or, or anything like that. We made this mess together, and we're going to have to work together to undo it and make sure that this doesn't happen again. It's not race. It's not criminality. It's not. 
it's not the don't don't think of it as something simple. You know, we we made this happen, and and it's a really complicated question, and we've got to make sure that people address it as what it I, is. We understand. Great point. We life. understand yeah. your point, and the, some of the point that uh, was telling me before was the fact that this marine was trained by our our government to keep American citizens safe. Mm. Yeah, and his and his attorney put out a statement a little bit ago saying, you know. Uh, basically, you know, we not apologizing, but quote, never intended to harm the homeless man. And that I believe that. Just, I believe yeah, that. it looks like it from what people well, are he's saying. Doing what a lawyer is supposed to do. I mean, we'll leave that up to the grand jury, you know? Yeah, we'll see what happens. Errol Lewis, All thank right. you for being thank with you, us. Errol. We love you, Errol. Thank, thank you. Guys. Thank you, Errol. Thank you. And, uh, are we going to take a break or are we going to go to John? I heard some breaking news. I heard breaking news. WABC. And now with some big breaking news is John Solomon of Just the News. John, everybody is quoting your big scoop tied to 2018. Bring it fast forward and what it has to do with Hunter Biden and the Biden family. Yeah, well, listen, there's a pattern that's beginning to emerge. Last week, James Comer said the FBI had a confidential informant that came in in the summer of 2020 and said he had significant evidence of a pay-to-play bribery scheme involving Joe Biden, not Hunter Biden, but Joe Biden. Well, it turns out two years earlier, a former federal prosecutor, very respected prosecutor, the former U.S. attorney in Little Rock, Bud Cummins, he approached his um, success, uh, the current U.S. attorney in New York and said, hey, I've got uh, a Ukraine witness, the actual the attorney general of Ukraine. He has evidence of a pay to play bribery scheme involving Joe Biden. Wouldn't you like to meet him? He's got two witnesses he can bring. He's got some paperwork and evidence he can bring. All he, He'll come and meet with you. And he got crickets. They never met with him. They never responded to him. They ignored him. But a year later, Bud Cummins found out, actually just recently found out because it was a delayed notification. The U.S. attorney investigated Bud Cummins. They got his phone records, which, by the way, is very sensitive when you're a lawyer with attorney-client privilege. So they investigate the person who's trying to be the good citizen rather than the allegation this pattern keeps repeating itself in Joe Biden world. Well, I mean, who, how high up do you have to get uh, in the FBI when, when, when things like that happen? This is, there's too many politics, uh, John. Yeah. And listen, Bud Cummins knew the U S attorney, Jeff Berman. He knew him personally. He reached out to him by phone. He sent the evidence and then nothing. And then he finds out four years later that they took his phone records and looked at him this uh, it is remarkable that relationships, uh, bona fides, credentials, the Ukraine witness the first time was the attorney general of Ukraine, the highest ranking law enforcement official in Ukraine. In 2020, it's an FBI agent working one of their own confidential human sources. And even then, the Joe Biden information falls into a circular. It just keeps happening. There seems to be a political protection zone around the Biden family that frustrates career people like the IRS agent the FBI whistleblowers, and now Bud Cummins, a former U.S. attorney. Now, I have to ask you, um, John, this is different, this whistleblower, this Bud Cummins, than the new one, right, as you just pointed out? And second of all, remember the famous line when Joe Biden and, John, you and I were talking about this last week. Remember he's sitting there at the at this event, and he's like, oh, and, you know, there there were some uh, issues, and SOB, we fired the attorney general. This is the attorney general, right? It is. It's that Ukraine attorney general. It was the successor, the one who wasn't fired, but the one who inherited the job. By the way, this uh, 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 chief prosecutor of Ukraine is the guy that settled 
the cases against Burisma. He knows specifically what was talked about between the wow. Obama administration, between Burisma and the U.S. attorney in New York doesn't want to hear from him. Instead, he investigates the guy who, as a good citizen, brings the information forward to the prosecutor's office. Uh, this is mind-boggling. I mean, I can't believe this stuff goes on in the United States of America. Yeah, it feels like a third-world country. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. I think that's why congressional investigators are beginning to determine themselves. They're becoming increasingly frustrated. Big news today, too. James Comer, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, is going to release an interim report on Wednesday. He said it is so explosive and it contains lots of evidence that the FBI and IRS don't know about that he even encouraged the Justice Department, hey, hold off indicting Hunter Biden if you're thinking about doing it. Do you see my report? A lot of suspense, a lot of buildup to a big release Wednesday morning by the House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer. Now, uh, you have such great scoops, John. Any idea what he's going to expose? Because you just hit it on the head. Comer's out there pleading, basically saying, DOJ, don't charge Hunter Biden with a slap on the wrist and a tax charge or a gun charge, because I've got some explosive stuff. Any idea what we're going to hear on Wednesday? This sounds huge. And he's saying it's tied to Joe Biden, that it's tied to the family. This is big. So I think for most Americans, they've heard piecemeal over the last couple of years. Hunter Biden had some dealings in Ukraine. He had some dealings in China. What James Comer is going to do is say, listen, Hunter Biden, James Biden, the family had dealings in numerous countries, uh, scores of uh, uh, business transactions, bank accounts, LLCs, a lot of them in countries that are not uh, allies of the United States. They're competitors or adversaries of the United States. And when you look at all the money, you're going to see how many family members involved, how many companies involved? How many countries involved? How many tens of millions of dollars involved? And then we're going to take a look at what Joe Biden was doing as vice president. Oh, how interesting. Joe Biden seems to take favorable actions in a lot of these countries that benefit the very people paying his family members. That's what I expect from my sources to uh, be the opening salvo in the report. So, so we're coming down. It's going to happen in the next couple of days. That's stunning. It is. That is Wednesday stunning. Wednesday morning. 9 a.m. Eastern time. It has been locked into stone, and there's a big press conference. will be nationally televised. We'll learn a lot from it. Well, I look forward to it. Well, uh, anything else we want to talk about today? I want to have just one fun thing. It's, it's related, but a lot of people didn't pick up on its significance. The Wall Street Journal editorial board, I think, has a very important op-ed today. They noticed that in his interview on Friday, Joe Biden said he didn't believe his son had done anything wrong. That is something Important for a president to tell his Justice Department, who's considering indicting his son, he did nothing wrong. It sets up the expectation that maybe there'll be a pardon. It sets up the the fear that Joe Biden is very overtly pressuring the Justice Department. Don't bring that charge. I don't believe my son did anything wrong. That is the sort of inference and interference in the Justice Department that Joe Biden told us when he was running in 2020. He would never do. The Wall Street Journal calls him out on that. It's all tied together with this larger story. Joe Biden's get a lot more persnickety when it comes to what's going on with his family right now. Yeah, you can tell. Really interesting, the language there. And he kept saying, you know, I trust my son. I love my son. Uh, John Solomon, blockbuster stuff. We're all going to be tuning in well, on John Wednesday. John Solomon, uh, well, we're only a day and a half away or something like that. And uh, look forward to it. And thank you, John, for telling the truth to the American people. Thank you so much, guys. Wow, what a blockbuster interview. And everybody stay tuned. Swimmer Riley Gaines joins us after the break on transgender athletes and women's sports. You don't want to miss it. Riley Gaines right after the break. 
A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby. Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. We're back. Yeah, and boy, we have a blockbuster guest now. Everybody, of course, uh, knows NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines, uh, when, of course, she was there competing against a transgender athlete, Leah Thomas. And Riley Gaines joins us now here on Cats and Cosby. Riley, this is Rita Cosby. Uh, you, you've been awesome. As a woman, I'm just, I've been sitting there saying, wow. Um, you are also pushing, of course, uh, for female athletes now to boycott competing against trans girls. Talk about your journey really quick for our listeners. This is the first time we're thrilled to have you here on Cats and Cosby. Real briefly, what happened with Leah Thomas and what sort of sparked it all for you to speak out and really be a champion for women's rights? Absolutely. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on. Um, Last year, which was my senior year in college, I was a swimmer at the University of Kentucky. Um, About halfway through my senior year, this person popped up and started leading the nation. And it was someone I had never heard of before. And, of course, this was a swimmer named Leah Thomas. Fast forward to our national championships, and I watched on the side of the pool as Leah Thomas swam to a national title, beating out Olympians, beating out the most impressive female swimmers this country has ever seen. When the year prior, Thomas ranked 462nd amongst the men. Well, and then you're on the podium, right? Tell us about the podium moment. You, You tie. Absolutely. That next day of competition was the 200 freestyle, which ultimate, ultimately and almost impossibly enough resulted in a tie. And upon time, we get on the awards podium where the NCAA official looks at both Thomas and myself and says, great job. Um, I know you guys tied the exact same time down or the exact same time down as a hundredth of a second, but the trophy goes to Leah and Leah has to have the trophy for photos. So Riley, you go home empty handed. Leah takes the trophy. Holy and cow. that's what thrusted me into this position of I was no longer willing to honestly just lie because that's what they were asking us to do when they were asking us to say Leah Thomas is a woman that's lying. And I was no longer willing to, to do that. Riley, it's, it's Tony Carbonetti. I, I have two teenage daughters. You are a hero of mine. Uh, my daughters talk about you nonstop. Uh, one of them plays very competitive volleyball. She's a, a varsity starter for four years in high school. And she said, I, I couldn't play against guys. I, I don't understand why they're letting this happen. So I, I applaud you for sticking up for yourself and other women. And uh, I'm telling you, this is one of the moments my, my girls are actually really proud when I go home and I tell them I spoke to you on the radio. Aww. So I, I think <laughs> you what cool you're doing is better. wonderful. Well, thank you. You'll have to tell them both I say hi. And uh, Judge Richard Weinberg, you've got a question. You have uh, you have two daughters, too. I have two daughters, a little older than Tony's, but we're proud of you, too. And I have to tell you, you're also leading the charge against this change to Title IX, which is supposed to protect people against discrimination based on sex. And they're trying to broaden the category, that is the Biden administration, to include transgender, which fundamentally is taking the ability of women to compete on the merits away from them. Isn't that correct? Absolutely. This whole changing, rewriting of Title IX to where it's no longer, like you mentioned, it's no longer preventing discrimination on the basis of sex. It would be preventing discrimination on the basis of gender identity. So what this means is men could join sororities. Men would have full access to any restroom or bathroom on campus. Men could live in dorm rooms with women and you could do absolutely nothing about it. Men could, of course, take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. 
And it just seems ironic. Because there is the something same wrong. People, something wrong with our country right now. You know, I can't think Absolutely. about, I can't, I, I'm thinking about, you know, as a woman. I mean, if I was in the locker room and a guy came in as a young child, and I did sports when I was in, in high school, I can't even imagine. What, where are all the other, like, feminists today? Where are all the other women's rights organizations not saying, bravo, you lead the charge? And this is something I, I constantly ask myself because, I mean, you think of the original feminist movement. You think of the women who wore the pink hats and and the whole free the nipple movement and and just these women. They who, should be sticking up for you today. Yeah, one thousand percent. And they're not. This this movement has, of course, gone two directions. Where you do have some groups who are standing by the original feminist movement and what it meant to empower and recognize women based off based off our own uniqueness. But then a subset of of the feminist, the original feminist movement has gone the total opposite way. And, and don't get me wrong, this isn't a comment on the transgender community. This is this is about competing in sports. And protecting women's rights, yes. too. I mean, I think you can protect uh, different people's rights, but do it differently. You don't have to weave them into Title IX, as you were so eloquently saying, Judge, you know? I think it's absolutely awful that the Biden administration is going to totally distort the meaning of Title IX to carry out a political narrative. It's absolutely awful. It's totally unfair to women. It's totally unfair to people of accomplishment like Riley, and it should be stopped immediately. You know, um, and everybody, we are talking to superstar NCAA swimmer Riley Gaines. Um, Riley, one of the things John and I, we were talking about, this is amazing, this story. Uh, transgender toddlers as young as two undergoing uh, mutilation sterilization by North Carolina medical system, according Somebody to this is jail. amazing. This is a journalist reporting this. When you see this, Riley Gaines, what do you think? I just feel heartbroken. I just feel as if we so quickly, and maybe this is me being naive, but I feel as if this whole thing has happened so, so incredibly quickly. I just feel it, it just feels like a punch in the stomach. Like it feels as if we've so quickly turned away from. A society that embraced truth, that embraced common sense, and that had some sort of morals. We've now you, turned. You were the fastest woman that. in that pool and should have gotten that award. Period. And you think about that the simple. hard work that it takes your daughters, yes. your years uh, of practicing, people. your years of competing. You, you worked yourself up for that moment, and, and and you were denied. It's not fair. No, you're exactly right. I dedicated 18 years of my life to my sport. I started swimming when I was four and I graduated when I was 22. And so in those 18 years, it's impossible to put into words the amount, the amount of time, the amount of dedication, the amount of sacrifices that you have to make to even be willing to get to that point. Thank you for taking up the fight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Riley, we are so grateful that you're here on the show. We're absolutely honored to have you on. Thank you. You keep up the good fight, and you got to come back on again soon. Keep the fighting. great, incredible swimmer, uh, Riley Gaines. Thank you for being with us, Riley. You're so welcome, and I'll come on anytime. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great fight. We're rooting you. for you. Let's take a break, and when we come back, we're we got Michael, come back Goodwin. Michael Goodwin. And he is all stirred up on uh, some uh, great subjects. Yeah, Hunter Biden and media bias. You don't want to miss this on Cats and Cosby. Let's do that break. You're commuting home with Cats and Cosby. Now, here's John Katsimatidis and Rita Cosby on 77 WABC. We're back, Rita. And uh, now we have Michael Goodwin, a star uh, reporter at the New York Post. 
Yeah, Pulitzer Prize winner. And Michael, you've had a couple real big blockbuster columns. One of them, uh, about media bias and the Hunter Biden case. Um, I want to get your thoughts on what you think is going to happen, especially this week is a huge week, uh, because we were just, uh, we had John Solomon on earlier. He was saying how Comer on Wednesday morning has this big press conference. He's announced that it's going to be 9 a.m. and he says he's got a lot of goods, uh, particularly on Biden and the Biden family. Let's see what he's got. Um, do you think the media will be able to ignore it if he does this major press conference and if he really does have the goods? And, and by the way, I also got a, this also just came out a little bit ago that the White House has banned the post from a Biden event uh, as they're thinking an indictment may be looming against Hunter Biden. Your, your thoughts on all of this, Michael? Well, thank you, Rita. It, it does feel as though uh, the, the the frog is getting a little warmer in the in the in the pan now. Um, it, it's been a while, but when you think back to where we were for the last two years, I mean, it was essentially the New York Post kept the story going with it with its own sources, with reports here and there. Uh, with a lot of opinion pieces based on that. Uh, now what you have is a sort of change. Now, with the Republicans taking the House and getting subpoena power, uh, and Comer leading the way in the Oversight Committee, uh, Jim Jordan and uh, Turner from Ohio, both of them in the Judiciary, uh, uh, judiciary Jordan, Committee. Judiciary, Turner is in, uh, in, in another committee. They all have subpoena power. And so they are the kind of young Turks of the new Republican majority, and they are leading the way in uncovering these things. I mean, for example, it sort of it happened and then it faded. But one of the things that Comer discovered uh, through subpoenaing the Bank of America only, only the Bank of America was the only one he subpoenaed at first. That's where he learned that nine different Biden members uh, had gotten money from uh, a fund that was sent to uh, either Hunter Biden or Rob Walker initially, and then was distributed over subsequent months to nine different members of the Biden family. That's the sort of thing you can only learn with uh, either a whistleblower uh, or a subpoena power. And now they have both. And so I'm not sure what uh, what surprises Comer has for Wednesday. But the, the final point I wanted to just make, you, you mentioned the Post reporting this looming indictment. It also feels as though this case is coming to a head. Last week, uh, Hunter's lawyers met with the Justice Department, which is a sort of thing normally that happens near the end of a case. And the, the general understanding is that the Justice Department, before it's going to indict, will tell the lawyers, we plan to indict, uh, come and tell us why we shouldn't. If you have any new evidence, anything you haven't told us that would change our minds, give us second pause, now's the time to do it. That's one theory as to what that meeting was about. And it, it could be the right one. Joe Biden comes out of his hidey hole and says, my son has done nothing wrong, which is outrageous. Uh, the Justice Department reports to the president, and the president is essentially saying the defendant is innocent before he's charged. Um, that's so far out of bounds. But don't forget, Joe Biden also said he thought Donald Trump should be prosecuted. And darn it, didn't the Justice Department go prosecute Donald Trump? So 
this idea that Merrick Garland is free of taint, I think, is a fiction. I think the Justice Department is beholden to the Biden family, and we will see if they really do indict Hunter Biden on serious charges or make an easy case to settle so it goes away, and that way they would never have to really examine Joe Biden's role. And, uh, Michael, real quick, um, uh, the other question, too, about the blocking of the post. What's your reaction? Uh, that's pretty interesting if they're trying to kind of block access again to the New York right. Post. I mean, that, uh, yes. that, that's uh, after everything that the Post went through. Bravo to you guys for leading the charge on all this. And now the White House saying... Uh, that they may block them again for no access because, what, they're afraid of what Joe Biden's going to say? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a strange event. It was this event on the uh, airlines that the Biden announced today. He held it in this called the fake White House, a little TV set that they do these things on. And the Post showed that there were a lot of empty seats. So the, the, And apparently the White House press room did not say it was a matter of space. They just said, you're not invited. Uh, I mean, this is this is childish. This is child's play. Uh, is this to stop the post from asking questions? Which, if if I'm uh, if I'm the other papers, I'm insulted because they're telling me they're not afraid of my questions. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Great well, point, well, Judge Weinberg. Mike, it's Richard Weinberg, and where, by the way, is the uh, the outrage from the media, from independent journalists saying you have no right to exclude? because you have a, a partisan bias against the New York Post from access to White House events and briefings. Richard, I, mean, Richard, I have an answer to that question. Where is the partisan media? It was at the White House Correspondents' Dinner clapping and laughing as Joe Biden laid out his campaign. They never uh, think it's going to happen to them, and it will. Yeah, well, uh, but, but, they're, but they're on the team. They're, they're no, Michael's the right. Team. They're on the so team. They're on the team. So yeah. the New York Post, is, uh, as Samuel Goldwyn said, was included out. And what's the big deal? Because we're included in. That's absolutely wrong. Everybody's entitled to the First Amendment protections, and that means access. Oh, 1,000. I think about the Africa reporter. Remember the uh, the uh, guy who was like cringe on Pierre would just ignore him on questions, you know. Uh, but, but, and but one of the things that's happened now is that the, the, the media, the major media organizations, which used to be the prime defenders of the First Amendment, has now become the cheerleading for censorship. And for repression. That's terrible. As long as it's not them. As long as it's sort of the, the people on the fringe, the people who disagree, it's okay with them if Twitter blocks your stories. It's okay with them if Facebook blocks you. As long as you don't block the serious journalist. I mean, they have appropriated for themselves the entire First Amendment. It only applies to them as far as they're concerned. Um, by the way, um, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, there's some talk of maybe Secretary Blinken, of course, the Secretary of State, maybe even facing contempt of Congress charges because he's ignoring, apparently, all of these multiple House subpoenas. Uh, Congressman Mike McCall, who's on the House Oversight Committee, he's the chairman there, um, was essentially saying he's he's blown past all these deadlines. I mean, it's almost like this uh, above it all, like, like you know, we can just ignore congressional subpoenas. That's a big deal, Judge. Obama, Obama's uh, attorney general did it as well. That's right. Yeah. That's right. They never, they never went after him. Never. They never went after Holder. And, and they had the whole, you know, gun issue. Yeah, the but, Fast and Furious. Of course. That's right. And, yeah. and he got away with it. And no, where was the outrage on that? And the issue here, uh, the first issue, of course, is the letter signed by the 51 that uh, that apparently was uh, provoked 
in part by Blinken calling the man who drew it up, Mike Morell, and basically saying, what do you think of this story? Morell says that uh, he didn't think of the letter until that call, but Blinken didn't really suggest the letter. So we have Morell's testimony. Now you need Blinken's testimony. There's also the issue of Blinken lying to Congress before about Hunter Biden when he said he never emailed him. But since then, the emails have come out showing that uh, Hunter Biden uh, emailing Blinken. This would be in 2015. Blinken's in the <laughs> State Department. Joe Biden is vice president. It's about Burisma. Uh, Hunter Biden has lunch with uh, with Blinken. Blinken responds immediately, even though he's in the air. I'm about to land and all that. And so Blinken lied to Congress on that. So he has a number of things to answer for. So I hope that he will eventually come to Congress. If not, I hope Congress will hold him in contempt. Yeah, I hope Congress comes to him. Congress comes to him. The American people deserve the truth, and that's all we want is the truth. Absolutely, and we deserve to know where it goes. Um, Michael Goodwin, thank you so much for being with us. You're awesome. Thank you. Let's take a break. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back with Bill O'Reilly, and he is one interesting uh, person. And also, some big bombshell news, John, that you broke over the weekend related to who was behind the JFK assassination. Well, Robert Kennedy made worldwide news, and uh, you could ask me. I'm going to be talking about it after the break, right after the break, everybody. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats and Cosby on 77 WABC. And welcome back to Cats and Cosby. And John Katsimatidis, you made worldwide headlines. First I saw, I was like, what is RFK saying about the JFK assassination? And then I see, it's John Katsimatidis interview. This was a bombshell. What he says, the CIA was involved? Let me tell you something. I, I, I interviewed him yesterday and it was supposed to be a, a 10 minute interview and it went on for 18 minutes and I couldn't stop because uh, at the end of the interview, uh, he was telling about his father's assassination. And I tell you, Rita, I had tears in my eyes. Wow. And anybody that wants to hear the interview, you go to wabcradio.com website and, uh, you'll have tears in your eyes about talking about his father that died and what he thinks happened. And, uh, uh the, the thing he talks about, uh, the, the one part he talks about this, he thinks the CIA was involved and, and, um, I know certain things that I can't talk about, but, um, who knows? You might be more right than wrong. Wow. That's, I, that's my only comment. Wow. And, uh, then the, the description about his, how his father died, it, it, it was just, I, I did have tears in my eyes and some of my democratic friends and he challenged President Biden about the borders. And I was glad that uh, that uh, some Democrats have a little bit of courage to say the way it is, and um, and that's what the Democrats need: some debate amongst themselves, not a hundred percent agreement on everything all the time. Absolutely, and he's been doing decent in the polls too, John. Wow. Well, let's bring in, if we can, Bill O'Reilly, of course, mega best-selling author, has almost 
20 million copies of books that have been sold. His new book is Killing the Witches. Of course, Common Sense with Bill O'Reilly every night, 9 to 10 p.m. on WABC. Uh, Bill, we have a lot to ask you, but I, I first want to get your comment. This was Blockbuster. Did you hear what uh, John's big worldwide scoop this weekend? Yeah, I heard it. Um, and I'll uh, comment on it from the point of view that I wrote a book called Killing Kennedy. Exactly. Uh, Tell us about the book. Uh, what did what did you say about it? Well, there's no doubt that Lee Harvey Oswald shot John Kennedy, and there were no other gunmen involved. And that is proven by ballistics. And in order to claim a conspiracy, you would have to believe that the Dallas police, which was the primary investigating agency in the first 48 hours, would have colluded with the federal government to cover up stuff and it's impossible it it didn't happen so oswald did kill president kennedy and there's no doubt in my mind and we'd lay out the evidence because we had access to the fbi files uh in that book which is why it sold two and a half million copies and it's never been impeached it's never been challenged where rfk jr has some kind of a point is that Lee Harvey Oswald, when he was living in the Fort Worth, Dallas area, had a friend, a much older man named George DeMorenshield, who taught at a local college, Bishop College, all-black school. DeMorenshield was a Russian. He was white. Nobody could figure out why George DeMorenshield was hanging around with a lowlife like Lee Harvey Oswald. They had nothing in common. DeMora Shield did have links to the CIA, and we, I established that as a reporter. But his daughter, DeMora Shield, committed suicide when the federal government was closing in on him in Palm Beach, Florida, to give him a subpoena to appear in front of the church committee. Okay? Killed himself. Blew his head off with a shotgun. DeMora Shield's daughter, Alexandria, lives in Phoenix and has never commented on why her father was hanging around with Lee Harvey Oswald. She knows. She also knows what her father, what kind of work he did for the CIA. He wasn't an agent, but he had an association with the CIA. That is the one unresolved thing about the assassination of John F. Kennedy that remains out there. Bill O'Reilly, you're close to uh, President Trump, and has he told you at all why he didn't release the final papers in the Warren Commission? Yeah, he told me. He said that there was a lot of people in uh, in the investigation that would get hurt because they're still alive. That's what he told me, too. Yeah. There was one particular person that was still alive uh, that was involved— and uh, that person was a member of the CIA. Yeah, and it was, there were a lot of... And you, you know who it is. Around. Trump is not particularly interested in that story. He believes that Oswald did it. If you mention George Shield, his eyes glaze over. You know, there are people who are interested and there are people who aren't. Yes. Um, but RFK is an emotional guy. Let me tell you, I had tears in my eyes when he was telling the story. Yeah, he's an emotional man. I would never question him because he lost his father. 
uh, and his uncle. So it wouldn't be right to grill a guy like that. But if you really want to know what happened to John F. Kennedy, read Killing Kennedy. Well, By we the Bill wait. O'Reilly book. One of many bestsellers. Killing Kennedy and, and Bill O'Reilly, he's a historian and he writes great books and, and he sold two and a half million copies of that one. Yeah, and, and we're all fact-based. We don't throw speculation. And, and while you're all. on Amazon.com buying Bill O'Reilly's book, buy mine too. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Absolutely. So then, you'll be, then you'll be smart and rich. <laughs> <laughs> I'm book. teaching people how to make an extra billion. There you go. <laughs> By the way, Bill, uh, you also had a big blockbuster column uh, called A Train to Nowhere. And this is obviously a huge hot case about the New York City subway and Jordan Neely. We've seen protests uh, on the subway tracks. They were, they were blocking the bridge the other day. Your thoughts on all of this? Okay. So I wrote this column. It was posted Sunday noon. Soon after that, the New York Times finally did its job. So in the column, it says that the initial reporting by the New York Times did not mention that the man killed had a long criminal history and had an outstanding warrant for assault on a 67-year-old woman. If you can believe that, that is stunning, that they would do a report and they left it out. Well, my column embarrassed them because my columns go all over the place fast. They're on BillOReilly.com. You post them, bang, they're everywhere, okay? So they did a follow-up report, and then they started to mention that this guy was, A, a troubled guy, B, on a list of people that the New York authorities were looking at in the mental health area as being dangerous. So finally, they did their job. The demonstrators themselves are primarily anarchists. They're the same people that you saw in Portland, Oregon, trying to burn down that town during the George Floyd riots. They don't care about this poor guy who's dead or the Marine or the justice system. They don't care about any of that. They want to blow up the American system. So any excuse to go out and do that, they will do. If you saw that horrendous videotape of these people blowing pot smoke in the face of police from maybe six inches away, putting a bullhorn in the face of cops. It's just absolutely revolting. These people are dangerous and deranged. The two Ds, these are the protesters. They are not good-hearted people. They are not trying to right uh, an injustice. They are trying to blow up the system. And, and I wonder how many of them were imported from other cities. Well, there weren't that many of them, John. There's enough to cause problems, but there isn't like this is a mass protest. There are maybe 100, 150. Black Lives Matter is behind it. They put it on their website. They, they're the ones that are organizing, meet up at this subway station at this time, meet up at this road at this time. That BLM is behind the organization of it. You know what I worry about, uh, Bill O'Reilly, so much of now it's going, it looks like, potentially to the grand jury, the case this week. Um, we'll see where it goes, what a grand jury comes back with. But it's like this group that you and John are talking about, these outside folks, it seems like they'll never be happy 
um, no matter what. And especially if the grand jury comes back, and that's sort of supposed to be a jury of your peers, if they come back and say, gosh, I've been on a subway and I've been worried. And, you mean if and, they have 12 Marines? Yeah, yeah, what if they have 12 Marines? I'll take 11 Marines, right? So you put them in there, right, John? Yep. And what if they come back and say, okay, you know, this was self-defense or he was defending it. They will not be happy. These groups, these outside agitators, and I worry where this is going. They're professional agitators. They get paid for it. And look what's get, but yeah, what it's going to happen to our city. Right. They, they get paid to do it. Um, I don't care whether they're happy or not. I just hope that the grand jury, because remember, nobody is advocating for the Marine. There's a very good chance the grand jury won't even know the yes. long criminal history of the guy who died. Because the other it's just thing. the prosecutor in there with them. And, Bill, it's Richard Weinberg, and that's exactly correct. Yeah. And the prosecutor is the one who decides which witnesses go into the grand jury so they can cherry-pick witnesses. Well, right. We're out of time. Bill, what are you going to talk about at 9 o'clock tonight? Bill O'Reilly uh, on WABC at 9 to 10 o'clock tonight. What are you going to talk about? Panic in the Biden White House. There is panic. There's sure. a lot of it. Bill, we love you. Especially Thank you for Wednesday, being here. 9 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, yeah, see you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill. And guys, what do we all stand for? Truth, Truth justice, justice, and the American, American way. way. Reporting from the Daily Planet Building.